listening to 2XXFM 98.3 on Canberra's people-powered radio. My name is Becca Posterino, the executive producer of the program, and the program is Subject ACT, which explores local current affairs from an informed and curious gaze. In the studio today, I welcome the director of ACT Council of Social Service at COS, Susan Hellier. Thank you for coming in. And author of Selfless, a social worker's own story of trauma and recovery, social worker, public speaker, and pet sitter Kristen Hopsaffel, we welcome into the studio again. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, Becca. So today we will further unpack the issue of compassion fatigue and trauma experienced by care workers in the ACT. We will extend this conversation to social workers, nurses, psychologists, case managers and mental health workers and also draw from the expertise of the director of one of our most important organisations or peak body organisations, ACTCOS, affectionately known, the ACT Council of Social Service, Susan Hallier as the director. Firstly, just Kristen to reiterate and draw from your story again, which obviously led us to invite and welcome Susan into this conversation. When we last spoke, you shared your direct experiences of trauma and recovery as a social worker Mm -hmm. in the ACT. What opportunities are there for us as a community to better serve our care workers in the ACT and more broadly Australia? Oh, my goodness, that's a very good question. Better ways that we can serve our helping profession. Well, the reason that I wrote the book is because I was wanting to acknowledge what the work actually involves on a day-to-day basis. I think that there's a lot of misconceptions Conceptions about what helping professionals do. I think I spoke before about that some of those misconceptions can be that helpers are either, <coughs> excuse me, are either subhuman or superhuman. <laughs> and I'm wanting to tell a story about how it actually feels to be a helping professional who is human. So that would probably be the first thing that I think our community can do is to see our helpers as the human beings that they are all that their work entails, that their work in, is, is an immensely challenging job and it's a a vital job that we all need and has impact on every single one of us so in that way I'd like to see better support of our helping professionals. That's the fundamental issue and I think as you said what drew you to write write the book is the support needs to be more systematic more entrenched in the in the culture and the system of the industry. Yes yes absolutely. How should the avenues of support operate for care workers, in your view, Kristen, and for those enduring trauma and compassion fatigue as a result of their work and or work environment? Well, the first port of call is within the within the office space. There needs to be a, a really good, solid relationship between team leader and worker. Supervision needs to be something that happens on a regular basis. And on a talking about systemic support, money. You know, it needs to be supported from the top. It needs to be allocated the funds that it is worthy of. It needs to be allocated the funds to do what it needs to do properly and fully. And that's the thing. It Funds have to be used adequately because obviously the justification or there's fear amongst those that distribute those funds that that isn't being used effectively. And I think that's why the conversation needs to come. We need to invite people like Susan Hallier, director of ATCOS, into the conversation because you have got that insight from a policy level as to how to effectively manage funds to distribute those economic arms of support effectively amongst the community. Absolutely. And I'm really interested to hear Kristen's experience because I think there are thinking about care workers as either subhuman or superhuman is really and rather than just human is one of the one of the ways in which we might be able to reframe the conversation around Mm. people experiencing burnout Mm. or fatigue because I think we often we're very appreciative and in awe we talk about 
people being in awe of people who do caring as their mm. profession. They're seen as these angels on earth, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, that's right, which isn't, it doesn't really respect who they are and what they bring to the roles Mm. but also we don't we say that so they're superhumans but actually then we require them to work in circumstances that are subpar yes and we we require them to work on wages yeah that are sub-average in fact worse than sub-average often at the bottom end of the wages platform so we, we sort of have these contradictions in the way that we even think about people and I think people take those contradictions on in their lives and sometimes they get internalised. That yeah, creates yeah. some of the challenge of fulfilling those roles mm. and keeping doing those roles. Kristen, just before we go into a little bit more about the mm. policy, in terms of structural and systematic change, mm. which we sort of raised with you last time with psychologist and director of Compassion Fatigue, Anastasia Gusios, mm-hmm. how, in your view, can we best address this issue? What kind of support needs to be engaged in the ACT? You're asking some really good questions today. I think very deeply and very thoughtfully about that one. I think consistency. I'd mm. like to see more consistency across the board. I think a lot of the time a lot of problems seem to arise because every workplace is flying by the seat of their pants. Everybody's busy. Everybody's putting out spot fires. So maybe some consistency across the board with nationwide policies nationwide guidelines about what sort of support needs to be offered and provided talking about money baseline nationwide guidelines about how much people get paid for what Mm. kind of job i think all of that would go very much towards acknowledging the very challenging work that these helpers are doing every Mm. day and it would reflect it and it would mean that these helpers are actually seeing themselves as people who are performing a vital role in our society. Absolutely. It's about identity, isn't it? Reassuring these valued people, not just by words, but by the action of how we pay them, Mm -hmm. how we support them and how the system supports and recognises them all. So it's fine to say things, but we really need to back that up with action. Mm. Susan Hallier, Director of ACT, Council of Social Service, ACTCOS. Does ACT social policy acknowledge compassion fatigue in your view and work-related trauma for professional care workers such as Kristen and also the volunteers. We must acknowledge the volunteers in the sector. Or has it bypassed the radar of recognition? Look, I think it's on the radar. Definitely people are aware of those risks. Management are aware of the risks and people who work in the profession have seen those risks play out for their colleagues or are conscious of them in their workplaces. We've often framed it around a mental health and wellbeing framework and a lot of the management theory and practice has been around how to respond to individuals and how to create workplaces that are mentally healthy but I guess I think there's two challenges um, that we can probably explore a bit more broadly one is what is the funding and operating environment Mm. in which organizations are employing people and how does that impact on their capacity to provide workplaces that reduce risks and protect people from the impacts of compassion fatigue or burnout but also how are we understanding that compassion fatigue and burnout is it if we understand it only from a an individual mental health perspective but we don't think about it more structurally around how we organize work and how we how we experience work as human beings then we might be missing some of the opportunities to improve 
our ability to deal with this issue. That's a really good point, structural. What are we talking about when we're talking structure? I think what what many workplaces have done, and you see it outside of the caring professions more and more, people being experiencing a sense of alienation yes. and disconnection Absolutely. in their workplace. And they're not feeling like they're fulfilling all that they're able to do. Their capabilities aren't well tapped into. They're disconnected from the relationships and communities that give them a sense of meaning and purpose and their work is separated from that and there's a contradiction between their values and the work that they're doing one of the solutions to that has been oh work in the for purpose sector and I think that that's an interesting you know so one of the we do have some protective factors in our industry which are around because it is for purpose, that should serve as a protection from some mm. of the, the sense of alienation. But people in the helping professions, as in, in other roles, they need to feel their work has meaning. They need to feel connected. They need their, their sense of self to match who they are and their identity at So work. like their values. Mm. Yeah, and they need to feel they have some power over the form of work they do and the shape of that work and some connection to the results of that work. Mm. And I think some of the things that we can do, mental health awareness and you can do employee assistance, but if we want like a vigorous and dedicated and workforce that's kind of absorbed in their roles appropriately with the right boundaries and not feeling over-absorbed and beyond dedication to obligation, beyond what's reasonable, then we need things like flexibility. Flexibility in your job, you know, when you're matching a job description to the people that are coming for work, how do you be flexible about how you frame the work around Mm. who the workforce is? How do you make sure that you've got, once you're in work, people can say, look, these are where my talents and and passions lie how can I maximize that contribution to the organization and partner with my colleagues and think differently about cross-team roles and cross-team work and Mm. collaborative work a lot of caring work can be very isolated Mm. you as an individual are off in the world with people dealing with very difficult circumstances and you can be doing a lot of work on your own one of the ways of working better in workplaces is to rethink work so not fitting people Mm. into the roles we've defined yes but thinking about how do the roles get shaped around the workforce we've got really good point such a good point because that is it and and it sounds like we're talking about the square peg in a round hole we're trying to kind of push ourselves and you know ply ourselves into these positions that that aren't that aren't conducive to sustainable health for valuable care workers who are doing care work for those who desperately need an adequately supported care work industry. If we can't take care of those frontline carers, then really the whole system is is compromised, isn't it? And I think in the current context where, you know, we hear more and more about fiscal restraint and mm-hmm. we hear about <laughs> needing to be able to do more with less, mm-hmm. we hear about efficiencies, how we have the right investment in this work's critical also you know we have increasing expectations Mm. about safety and 
protections and safeguards. You know, we don't need any more royal commissions talking about people behaving badly in caring mm-hmm. roles. Yes. Mm-hmm. So things are making our work more complicated. Yes. At the same time as we're wanting to be more flexible and adaptive mm. and and responsive mm. to need. So there are these dichotomies. These kind of contradictions mm. yeah. in 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 where we're trying to go. And I mm. think sometimes individuals internalize yes the impacts of that and Absolutely. And, yeah. and express what that you know Absolutely. that comes out in emotional experiences. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Acknowledging, um, just adding on to that, I really like what you just said. Acknowledging the different roles activities that a helping professional can do throughout the day and they said in a, a time of fiscal restraint where you're so focused on what can you pro- what can you produce what's the end result <laughs> when what m- actually in that situation might be the most valuable and might produce the best result is actually the helper sitting down and having time to plan reflect on what has just happened it's not producing anything it's may- so maybe sort of emphasizing the positive outcomes that come from and the not value. producing all the time? Yes. Yes. One of the shifts that's happened in the sector, in the caring professions, employment sector, is that there's more and more expectation of philanthropic money as well as government money coming mm, in. Yes. And okay. one of the things that philanthropists say is they don't want to fund admin. They proudly say, we don't fund admin, we just fund frontline. Well, part of admin is time for reflection, Mm. time for supervision, investing in workforce learning and development, investing in professional growth. In the survey that we did that looked at what was happening in community services in the ACT specifically, we found that 70% of organisations, having come from a commercial or market source, and and most organisations also have money from donations or philanthropy. And money is not going up from government, largely. It's static. So mm-hmm. the only areas for growth are in those other non-government sources of money. Mm-hmm. And they're the sources that are least likely to be prepared to spend on, on some of these. How can a frontline carer possibly function without that support, that administrative support in whatever capacity, whether it is, you know, training and development, whether it is the nuts and bolts of getting them to the right place, to the right person? I mean, these these are crucial cogs in the wheel. You can't mm. really, I mean, I would like to say that the person on the frontline is crucial and most crucial, of course, but those administrative arms are intrinsic yeah. to... Well, even a unicycle isn't just a, That's right. um, a seat on a wheel. That's you know, right. there's other bits of it yes. that make it work. Yes, and good analogy. Most most organisations that work with people are way more complicated than a unicycle. Yes. <laughs> mm. So we, you know, we need to invest in the rest. Yeah, absolutely. Not just the the front line. Yeah, you're listening to 2XXFM 98.3 on People Powered Radio. The program is subject ACT, exploring local and current affairs from an informed and curious gaze. And we're talking to Kristen Hop Zaffel, who is an author, pet sitter, public speaker extraordinaire, and also director of ACT Council of Social Service at COS, Susan Hellier. You're listening to 2XXFM 98.3 on People Powered Radio. The program is subject ACT. And before that, we heard from Kristen Hoffsaffel, who is an author, social worker and pet sitter, talking about compassion fatigue and trauma recovery. And also we're incorporating and inviting the views of a very important voice, uh, ACT Council of Social Service Director, Susan Hallier. So welcome back to the program, Susan and Kristen. Thanks for your time today. 
Susan, the State of Community Service Sector in the Australian Capital Territory report published by UNSW in 2016 comprehensively invited 401 ACT community service organisations to participate. From those, 166 organisations provided feedback and shared insights on ACT community services. Can you identify some of the key findings in your view in terms of strengths and challenges within the sector in the ACT? Sure, and it's great to have a chance to talk about that work because I think it was a great piece of research that we were really pleased to collaborate with UNSW on. There's a few things I'd say, and I won't talk about the reports much richer than the things we'll yes. be able to cover today, but I thought there was a couple of things. One is if we think about creating workplaces and employment conditions that are protective, one of the things is to have a bit of flexibility and adapt- adaptiveness in your workforce. But we know that... Um, that the largest number of organisations, you know, when you have a graph, which is the largest number of organisations, they had less than seven staff. There were a number of organisations that had more than 35 staff, so sure. big, and there are some with, you know, a 1,000 staff. But that sort of median was six, six and a half. That puts some constraints Doesn't on the amount of flexibility small, that yeah. you can offer, puts some constraints on the amount of support and that you can provide around people now that doesn't say that there wouldn't be board members or volunteers who are able to spread that load but I think that's one of the constraints Mm. that organizations operate in alongside us knowing that actually organizations with small numbers of paid staff but good connections to community and deep engagement with their communities of interest are valuable so it's not that we want everyone to get big but how you actually create some environments in which people in small organisations can get the right support yes. would be interesting. And some of that might be around some collaborations between small organisations around workforce development and support, and certainly ACOS provides some vehicles for that in our learning and development program. The other thing is that we are 70%, 77% women. In the know, sector. In the sector. And very large numbers of people who are in part-time roles. Mm. Only 8.4% of the organisations we surveyed were male-dominated. Mm. So we're like Goodness. the beacon yeah. of a female-dominated industry. <laughs> Interestingly, we weren't 77% female-led. We were 68% female-led. So there's still a gap. Mm. <laughs> but still 68% female-led. So sure. good strong leadership um, opportunities in our sector for women and that and there were 25% of organization where only women worked there mm. substantial yeah mm. Isn't yeah, it? so it's an int- so I think thinking about the gender lens through which we look mm-hmm. at this sector and what that means in terms of when we talk about superhumans and subhumans, mothers mm. often get categorized in either one of those categories. <laughs> this is true. Yes, yes, this is true. <laughs> in the same way that oh, you know, you know, young women get categorized as either super queens or bitches you know like there's yes. there, we yeah, kind of yeah. we create these dichotomies for women yeah, definitely and i think that probably that's something to be aware of in our community mm. um, services as well the other thing is seven out of ten organizations had people with a lived experience of disadvantage or stigma or exclusion that's actually something to be really proud of mm-hmm. but it also might mean people come with some histories mm. that might create vulnerabilities that is absolutely no reason not to employ them. Absolutely. Absolutely not, because the value of that experience is it not able to be monetized. Yes. <laughs> yes. It yeah. definitely outweighs the risks. Yes. Mm. But I think it's something to be 
conscious of and deliberate about responding to. Yes. And I suppose the other thing we would say is that the work is often becoming struggle to employ people because the entry-level work is often lower paid than Mm. other industries for like work. But people stay in the industry because they value the learning and development and professional growth that the industry has to offer. So how you... They're making a real difference. Yeah, Yeah. people have a sense of purpose. Mm. So that's our value proposition as employers and how we recognise and sustain that, Mm. acknowledging that the work is fundamentally hard and emotionally demanding. But I guess the other thing I want to say is, you know, when you think about the kind of superhuman, emotionally demanding, actually, it's quite skilled. It's not just Mm. that you're a kind and thoughtful person that you can Mm. be a social worker, actually. Mm. People bring Mm. deep Mm. skill and expertise to their roles. And that, you know, we need to acknowledge that as well. Undermined at all. Mm. There is a deep... Um, there's an overarching emotional intelligence to doing care work, but there's also a navigation through a very complex uh, terrain in terms of the structure, the system, mm. and also accessing quite resourcefully people, mm. tangible resources. I mean, there's there's a mm. lot of skill. Mm. I think because there's so much grey area that yes. that often that creates a lot of the the challenge in mm. itself that there isn't a right answer there isn't a specific path yeah, you know it's not maths it's not maths that's right and often there there lies the challenge you're listening to 2XXFM 98.3. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Kristen Hopsaffel, author of Selfless as Social Workers' Own Story of Trauma and Recovery. And we're also talking to ACT Council of Social Service Director, Susan Hallier. And we are talking from different perspectives, but overlapping insights into into the very, very nuts and bolts of, of what it is to be a carer and what it is to provide. And I read in the report that came out that I I got a chance to glaze over which deserves much more than glazing but it's the state of community service sector in the Australian Capital Territory report which was published by UNSW and the words inclusive equitable and sustainable community organization was was mentioned what does that look like to you Susan I know that's a very difficult question to answer on a radio program in a few few sentences but what is the essence of that to you and inclusive and equitable and sustainable community services are ones that are deeply founded on social justice and on a social change agenda, which is about improving opportunities and outcomes for people who experience discrimination or exclusion or who are left behind by inequitable mm. economic conditions Mm. and so that's the core foundation and I think we can't lose that because if we lose that we then just become another service transacted in the interests of the two people involved in the transaction (laughs) which is a real eroding of I think the core purpose of humanity and the social justice yes Mm. I think the other thing is to have organizations that are recognized for the contributions they make in terms of social capital Mm. in in human capital as well as in economic development so we, we we've worked really hard in trying to make the economic case for investment in our sector you know the NDIS was based on an economic analysis Mm -hmm. that was able to argue that it was an investment methodology not a a needs-based framework and that's valuable but we also need to equally value the social capital and the human capital Mm. as equally valuable of investment 
and on that basis also that we're deeply committed to community development Mm. Mm. so once again not just a transaction between an Mm. individual and a service that is defined by some sort of entitlement or Mm. assessment of need but also that sustainable services, ones that don't lead to endless growth in demand or growth in need, are ones that are deeply connected into their communities and committed to community development as a strength-based approach to Mm -hmm. social change. And that's, I suppose, it's been one of the challenges, I think, because as the industry becomes more commercialised in its operating environment, it's hard to keep that focus. Yes, we're in a changing world and it's not slowing down in the commercial kind of focus, isn't it? Finally, I would (laughs) like to ask, we have time for a couple of more questions, but on a positive note, Susan, the community services sector presents vast opportunities for women in senior positions or leadership positions. Obviously yourself, you're the director of ACTCOS. That's an an amazing achievement within itself and you would be able to speak to that leadership that you you have within your organisation. Are women making headway as leaders within the, the community or the social services sector in the ACT? In your view, you've mentioned from that report that clearly... Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I think most most people in leadership roles in the sector are women, although that's a bit skewed because some of the larger organisations are more likely to be led by men. Mm. So that's something we could... You know, yes critique <laughs> and another, <laughs> um, another program another, I mean, but certainly one of the things I've been saying is that we are a place where women's leadership is visible yes and can be a show an example particularly to other industries you know mm-hmm. particularly in the commercial you know the finance sector or in the retail sector it's been very male dominated male dominated mm-hmm. even though most of the people who work in those sectors are women so what if you know i think we can demonstrate what we've done to allow women to progress through the ranks of organizations and progress to leadership roles and i think one of those things is the flexibility of the workplaces the willingness to work with part-time arrangements for people at different stages of their lives to balance different working and other responsibilities mm-hmm. i think it's also about providing opportunities for people to do shared leadership Mm. and there are opportunities for that in our sector take on leadership roles in a shared way and I think we can demonstrate how to you know we're working in a deeply disruptive environment and organizations continue to thrive so I think one of the things that would be valuable is for other industries to look to us and to see how have we been able to grow and sustain women in leadership roles. Great points. Kristen, just finally, this discussion is in collaboration with Susan. What are are some of the the key issues from your experience that you would like to identify and bring forward? You, You must have wisdom and also tangible advice to impart what do you think are the key take-home experiences lessons if if you will what have you drawn from this experience that you can transform to positivity um look i think i'd build on some of the stuff that susan has said that a lot of women in helping professions i would tell them keep going yes keep going there's loads of scope loads of potential for you to work your way up the ranks and do great things and an acknowledgement i know it's hard ask for help there's no shame in asking for help ask the right people for help but ask for help full stop i think in asking the right people if you don't get the answers or the support you're looking for keep going again try somewhere else this is important work that you're doing and you deserve to be supported for you to be able to do it properly you deserve that you're worthy of that and 
and the work that people like Susan Hellyer are doing in ACTCOS are right there behind you because they believe just as strongly that you need to be there and you need to do the good work that you're doing. Kristen Hopsaffel, author of Selfless, A Social Worker's Own Story of Trauma and Recovery. Thank you so much for joining us again. You're Thanks, also a pet sitter. I You're am a this. public speaker, <laughs> a writer and a social worker. I do a bit of everything, don't I? <laughs> you certainly do. So thank you for your insights and, and sharing your, your personal story. Once again, I'd love to talk to you again. Thanks, mm, Kristen. Thanks, and thank you to Susan Hallier, Director of ACT, Council of Social Service at COS. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and expertise. It's That's really a been a great value thank you so much thank you you've been listening to 2XX 98.3 FM people powered radio the program is subject ACT and my name is Becca Posterino executive producer of the program and that was our discussion with director of ACT Council of Social Service ACTCOS Susan Hallier and author of Selfless a social worker's own story of trauma and recovery social worker public speaker and pet sitter Kristen Hopsaffel tune in each weekday 8:30 till 9am or you can follow us on Twitter SoundCloud and Facebook thanks for your company and enjoy your day from food cause leaders have different views you choose what mean the world to me is being free live and let live and just let it be let it be love peace and harmony one universal family one god one aim and one destiny oh yeah imagine life without a choice at all giving a vote without a voice at all these be the problems that we face i'm talking poverty and race but no matter what the case we gotta hold on to